We are looking at the third commandment. Uh, It is found in verse 7 of Exodus 20, and this is what our God says to us. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, In our culture, when we think about violating the third commandment, the example that often first comes to our minds is that of using God's name as a curse word. Uh, We see this all around us in popular movies and in songs and in the lives of our neighbors and our co-workers. And as we said this morning, uh, that is something we must not do. And, And I hope your conscience is too tender and your love for God too strong to ever use God's name in a way that... um, That would be profane and cruel. But for ancient Israel, that would not have been the main thought that came to their mind in this prohibition. Uh, In the the cultures of the ancient Near East, speaking the name of a god was something you did to obtain that god's blessing. Uh, Speaking the name of a god was a way of invoking that God, calling upon that God to do something for you. It was used almost like a magic word, almost like an, an incantation. Uh, the people believed that by saying the name of a God, they would get what they desired from that God. In the third commandment, the first and most obvious application for Israel would have been that his name is not to be used that way. That God does not exist to serve the wants of men and that his name is too holy to be volleyed about in that way. Uh, There is something that the second and third commandment have in common here. Uh, Both idolatry and invoking the names of gods were used by pagans to try and get their gods to serve them. Uh, using images, bowing before images, and uh, calling on that name of that God were both used to bend the arms of those gods in order to get what the person wanted. And the true God, Israel's God, says he will not be treated that way. He will be worshipped as the almighty God that he is. His name is to be called upon and all due reverence and faith, not as some kind of magic word. Frankly, this is something that the word faith teachers in our land need to hear. Um, There are many so-called Christian teachers on the television, uh, in the mega churches. Uh, There are some here in Rocky Mount who teach this false doctrine that if you speak the name of Jesus over what you desire, it will be yours. This is simply reverting back to the ways of of paganism. This is what the ancient peoples believed. And it's an outright violation of the third commandment. God's name is not to be used that way. Now, this morning we saw that taking God's name in vain is neglecting, demeaning, abusing, or profaning the reputation of God in this world. And we're all guilty of this, but I didn't get to get to explaining how we're guilty of this. And so tonight we come to our our second question, which is, how have we broken this 
commandment. And so what I want to do is give you seven ways, there are others, but seven ways that the third commandment is often broken. So here we go. Number one, there is flippancy. Flippancy. This is is treating God in a flippant manner in our thoughts, our words, or our actions. So how often have have we done this? Uh, Are we not all guilty of having been flippant about God or the things of God? Uh, Have you ever been flippant about coming to church, about worshiping, flippant about prayer or reading the Bible? Uh, We also see God's name used in this light, flippant manner with exclamations like, Oh my God, or as it appears often on social media, OMG. Uh, people use God's name in that casual, flippant manner often. Thomas Vincent says that, he, and he was a Puritan speaking 300, 400 years ago, he said people do this without minding what they say, without having any awe of God upon them while they are speaking of Him. That's what makes it flippancy. Someone speaks the name of God without any sense of awe towards the God whose name they're invoking. I saw someone say that there is a world of difference between oh my God and oh my God. That's how we're to call on the name of God in a form of worship and reverence and in all. Second, there is perjury. Perjury. When we take an oath by God's name and then we lie, we dishonor him. And the Bible has a good bit to say about this in relation to the third commandment. Uh, The Bible says much about fraudulent oaths. So Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Uh, The question of taking oaths in a courtroom is an interesting one. If you have questions about whether Christians should take oaths at all, we can talk about that on Wednesday night. But the point here is that you're never to take an oath in God's name and then fail to keep your oath because you've connected His name to your promise and you dishonor His name if you fail to keep your word. Well, third, related to this is false prophecy. Uh, It is a vile thing to claim that you have a word from God and then to say something that God has not said. Uh, God's name is never to be joined to deceit or dishonesty. He is a God of truth. And in Old Testament Israel, claiming to have received a word from God, prophesying falsely in the name of God, it was a capital offense. A false prophet was to be stoned to death. Uh, In our own day, people often very tritely talk about God speaking to them. Uh, I I was praying the other day and God just spoke to me and said that I, I needed to come talk to you. Friends, before you dare tell anyone that you think God has said something to you, before you dare speak something to someone that you think God would have you say to them, you best make sure that it's right. And that doesn't mean check how confident you feel. It means see whether or not what you have to say is in the Bible. Um, The days of the prophets have given way to a higher day, a better day. 
They've given away to the day of God's word in black and white in the pages of the Bible. If you want God to, to speak to you, if you want a message from God, open your Bible and start reading and understand what a serious error it is to tritely speak of these messages that you might would claim that God has given you. It's actually a, a vile thing to connect his name to anything that might turn out to be false. Number four. There is sorcery. Um, sorcery isn't something we see much of in our culture, but in the ancient Near East, every religion had its sorcerers. Every religion had men who would cast into incantations and spells in the name of the God they served. There was lots of this in Egypt, where Israel's been for the last 400 years. And yet God is going to tell his people that they're absolutely not to be involved in sorcery. Uh, in the world of Harry Potter or the Wizard of Oz, uh, there are good witches and there are bad witches. In the real world, there is no such thing as a good, God-honoring witch. Uh, God tells His people that His name is not to be associated with those kinds of dark arts, and that means His people are not to participate in them either. And so as we see Moses unpack the third commandment in later laws, we see that one application of the third commandment is that God's people are not to be involved in any kind of sorcery. Number five, there is blasphemy. Blasphemy is speaking in a way that denies a name, a title, or an attribute of God. So if I speak of God as weak, if I speak of God as unfaithful, if I call into question the wisdom of God or the justice of God, that is blasphemy. Or if I try and claim that God goes by some other name, right? Allah, whose prophet is Muhammad. That is blasphemy. Denying any name, title, or attribute of the true God is blasphemy. Number six. There is hijacking God's name for our own purposes. Hijacking God's name for our own purposes. We exist for God's name, not the other way around. Uh, we are to do all that we do in joy for the glory of God's name rather than trying to use His name for our glory. And that can be tricky. For example, if you work in the Christian marketing industry. Uh, there are so many pithy Christian t-shirts and Christian knickknacks that you can purchase. Um, and I heard someone say at the SBC annual meeting a couple years ago that it often looks like Lifeway goes over to the Dollar Tree, buys stuff for a dollar, puts the name of Jesus on it, and sells it for ten. What is, is that using the name of God for our own glory, for our own profit, for our own purposes? Those are not easy questions. And those who, who work in, in that kind of marketing have to be very careful uh, we must never trivialize God. We must never trivialize His truth. We must never trivialize His name in search of a prophet. And His name can be trivialized through commercialization. Uh, similarly, there are many hucksters and false teachers and so-called miraculous healers who use God's name to line their own pockets with contributions from the gullible. 
Uh, you and I have both seen these folks on some of the Christian cable channels send in an offering, and that preacher will pray for you and you will be healed, so they claim. Uh, or he'll pray over his handkerchief and then send that handkerchief to you in the mail. And if you apply that handkerchief to places on your body where you're hurting, the pain will go away. These are, are frauds who use the name of God for their own vanity and their own wealth and their own personal gain. That's violating the third commandment. Uh, perhaps the worst example I can think of of hijacking God's name would be what happened in Nazi Germany. Uh, remember, during the days leading up to World War II, the evangelical church, the gospel church in Germany, became the Reich's church. Uh, Hitler used the name of God to further his horrific purposes. He presented his imperialistic mission as a Christian mission and as a mission to honor God. And he did so to win the political support of Christians in his nation. We need to beware of politicians in our nation who will bandy around the name of God, but they're doing it in order to get votes, in order to get support, not because of true allegiance to him. Number seven. We break the third commandment through hypocrisy. Frankly, I don't think anything does more to dishonor the name of God than to claim to be His while we live in disobedience to Him. When professing Christians lie or hate or lust or manipulate, this does way more to dishonor the name of God than a thousand OMGs on Facebook. Uh, Stephen Charnock said, It is a sad thing to be a Christian at supper, heathens in our shops, and the devil in our closets. Uh, this was God's rebuke of Israel. God says, This people draws near me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. Uh, perhaps the best way to be a stench in the nose of God and a curse to God's name is to be a Christian living in known sin. Uh, John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, said that a Christian living in known sin is living in a continual breach of the third commandment. Because every moment that Christian lives in that known sin, every second that goes by, he's bringing shame on God's name. Uh, Mount Hermon, are there any of us who are living in perpetual breach of the third commandment. Is there some sin that you're not only not, not putting out of your life, but you've made peace with that sin. You are contentedly living in disobedience to the God whose name you wear. If you're living in known sin, every breath you breathe is a breath breathed in violation of the third commandment. And God says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so those are a few ways that we can violate this commandment. And we are all guilty. Uh, when we put our lives up against the mirror of God's word, we see that we have all broken this law. But there is salvation in Christ. So how did Christ fulfill this commandment for us? 
well. Let me mention some ways that we see Jesus using God's name when he walked this earth, how he related to God's name. So first, Jesus came in his Father's name. Uh, Jesus told us this explicitly. John 5, verse 43, he said, I have come in my Father's name. So just imagine someone coming into this sanctuary tonight, declaring that he comes in the name of the Queen of England. Uh, What would that mean? It would mean, perhaps, that person has come to deliver a message to us on behalf of the Queen of England. It also means that that person comes standing in the place of the Queen, representing the Queen. Jesus came as the Father's representative, under the Father's name, to deliver the Father's message. More than that, Jesus came to show us what God is like. God's name is who he is. Jesus came to put God's name on display, to put God's character on display, to show us God more fully than God had ever been seen before. He came in his Father's name. Second, Jesus spoke in his Father's name. Uh, this is like, how, how did Jesus show people the glory of the Father's name? How did he reveal the honor and the praise that God is due? Well, in part, it was through his teaching. Because do you remember what the people said after they heard Jesus speak? Matthew 7, 28, 29, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And this began much earlier. At age 12, we see the boy Jesus in the temple. And we're told by Luke that all were amazed at his understanding and his answers to questions. Jesus honored his father's name through teaching and through what he was able to reveal in his words about who God is. Remember how The woman at the well went into town saying, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Uh, What did Jesus say about his own words? John 8, 38, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Or John 12, 49, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So Jesus gave all the glory of His words to the Father. He spoke that His Father would be known. He spoke that His Father would be loved. He spoke that His Father would be trusted. And then third, Jesus did works in his Father's name. Uh, We think of so many amazing miracles that Jesus performed. How he healed the sick, calmed the seas, raised the dead. Why did Jesus do all these wondrous things? Well, in John 10.25, Jesus declares he did all these works in his Father's name. As God's representative, as God's image, that people would know and see and love God, Jesus spoke and Jesus worked. Everything he did was in obedience to his Father, and everything he did revealed the glory of his Father. When we talk about being salt, when we talk about being light, when we talk about letting your works be seen by men that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven, this is what Jesus did always. And every word he spoke and every deed he performed. 
Well, fourth, Jesus lived and died for his Father's name. How did Jesus summarize his whole ministry just before he went to the cross? John 17, 6, praying to his father. Jesus said to his father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me in the world, out of the world. Yours there were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Jesus says to his father, all that I've done in my life, all that I've done was to manifest, to reveal God's name, to reveal who God is, to express God's glorious character. Jesus lived that God's name would be loved. John 17, 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. How? Through the cross. Through the cross. Uh, Even right now, Christ is in heaven interceding for us who are Christians. And by His power and through His Spirit, Jesus is continuing to make God's name known among the nations. Jesus is causing God's name to be known more broadly as more and more people have their eyes opened by Him so that they see the God of majesty and of mercy. Through the preaching of the word, through pastors and missionaries, through regular people that Christ just uses as witnesses in daily lives, Jesus is causing God's name to be known more deeply, to be loved, to be treasured. Ultimately, Jesus went to the cross and laid down his life for the sake of this ministry, for the sake of this service, that his Father's name would be known and loved and praised. You and I have broken the third commandment. Jesus fulfilled the third commandment perfectly. And when we believe on him, by God's grace, his righteousness is accounted to us. Just as our sins were accounted to him on the cross and he took the condemnation fully away. Well, next I want us to think about how the Holy Spirit helps us to obey the third commandment. So once we've believed on Christ, we've acknowledged that we're sinners, we've broken the third commandment, we have come to Christ, we're we're resting in Him as our hope, as our salvation, the Spirit has come into our life. How does the Spirit help us now to obey this commandment? And the answer is that the Spirit gives us a new and growing regard for God's name. And all I'm going to do here is give you an example, tell you a story. I mentioned John Newton a while ago. Um, Most people know him because of the hymn Amazing Grace, but one of the hymns that we also sing by John Newton a lot around here is How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. And it's a wonderful hymn. It's about how precious the name of Jesus is to a believer. Here's some of these words, and then I'll tell you the story. Uh, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. Does the name of Jesus do that for you? It makes the wounded spirit whole. It calms the troubled breast. It is manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. Dear name, the name of Jesus. 
dear name, the rock on which I build, my shield and hiding place, my never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. Jesus, my shepherd, brother, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end, except the praise I bring. The whole hymn is about how awesome, how sweet, how wonderful the name of Jesus is to a believer because of all that that name represents, who Christ is. What you need to know about the author of that hymn is that before he was saved, John Newton had a reputation even among other sailors for how vile he could be with his tongue. Uh, He was skilled at the art of profanity. And in particular, Newton tells us he had found creative ways to use the name of God in all sorts of wicked ways. Uh, In his later years, Newton would refer to his younger self as that old African blasphemer because he had sailed slave ships to and from Africa, cursing the name of God all along the way. Uh, One writer said that Newton had learned as a sailor how to blaspheme God with the full alphabet of vice. So what a transformation God did in Newton from one who treated God's name so flippantly to one who wrote the hymn that I just quoted to you, celebrating the worth of God's name. In a sermon that Newton preached to his church on the third commandment, he talked about this change and how it happens in all of us who are Christians. So listen to what John Newton said. He said, Let the redeemed of the Lord... Those he has delivered from the guilt and power of this sin adore the grace and the mercy that has saved them. Look back on your past life and rejoice with trembling. How often did you defy God's vengeance and power, perhaps madly uttering horrid imprecations against yourselves? Why have others been cut off in these sins and you've been spared? Yes, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He's quoting Paul from 1 Corinthians 6, and he's, he's asking his church, he's saying, do you remember who you used to be? Do you remember how you used to treat the name of God as something small and insignificant? And why is it that so many go to their death still doing that, and you've been pulled out of it, you've been spared? He said, now your tongues that once uttered blasphemies almost every other breath, or perhaps under a form of godliness, pronounced a language foreign to your hearts. In other words, he says, one or two things is your history. Either you probably use the name of God as a curse word, as he did, full of, full of profanity and just not caring a flip about God's name. Or you were one of those people who grew up religiously, and so you used the name of God as a hypocrite. You didn't love him in your heart. You just spoke his name as if you did. He said, that's who you used to be. But he said, now those same tongues that used to sin against God's name delight in extolling the name of Jesus, celebrating the wonders of his redeeming love. Now when you speak of the great God, your hearts are at awe in apprehension of his majesty. You're comforted with the thought that this God is your God. He's your almighty friend. He's your everlasting portion. Now, because you've been saved, you feel the influence of the spirit of adoption whereby you cry out, Abba, Father. Little did you think 
in the days of your ignorance that the God whom you are presumptuously offending had in the counsels of his everlasting love chosen you to salvation by Jesus Christ. He was found of you when you sought him not. He passed by you while you were lying in your blood and he bade you to live. This was the secret reason why you could not destroy yourselves. And at length, his time of love came. The hour which he had appointed to open your eyes, to show you mercy, to deliver you from the power of darkness and to translate you into the kingdom of his dear son. Do not your hearts glow with a sense of obligation to him who has loved you and washed you from your sins in his own blood. Will you not lift to him who has saved you from so great a death Yea, doubtless you will count all things as loss compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus the Lord. And you will use all your influence to spread the aroma of his precious name. Now, Herman, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit turns blasphemers into worshipers. The Holy Spirit turns haters of God's name into spreaders of God's name. He turns people who treat God's name as something small to those who treasure it above everything else in the world. I simply ask you tonight, what is God's name to your soul? Is it sweet? Is it precious? Not just a word, not just the word. It's, it's all that God's name stands for. All that God is. Is it mighty to you? Does it stir you up to love and adoration? Well, now I want to address some particular applications. Some particular applications of this third commandment. I have seven on my list. We probably won't get to all of them. We'll hit some maybe Wednesday night in discussion. First, this commandment should be a warning against thoughtless prayers. Against thoughtless prayers. This is really interesting. Many of the old Puritan commentators when they address the third commandment, take time to speak to the issue of dice. Dice, like rolling dice. That's because it used to be thought that throwing dice was similar to casting lots in Bible times. And when you cast lots in Bible times, you were seeking a decision from the Lord. So we think about when they were deciding who was going to take Judas's place as a, as a disciple. And they cast lots, right? And that's how they determined which of these two men was going to take Judas's place. Well, the Puritans thought that casting dice was similar to casting lots. It was, it was inquiring of the Lord, which way would you have us go? And so as people started using dice to play games... To some of these Puritans, it seemed as if people were just calling, over, calling on God over and over and over again in a very trivial and meaningless way. And they saw it as an affront to God's name to treat God so trivially. Now today, we don't think that way at all. Um, if you're playing Monopoly, you don't feel like you're seeking a decision from the Lord every time you, you throw the dice. Uh, we know that God's world has scientific laws and that those help govern the way the dice fall. And we understand when we're playing Yahtzee or whatever it is we're playing that, that we're just playing a game. But here's what I think we can take from those old warnings. Are there times in our lives when we are calling on the Lord 
in a thoughtless, reckless, heartless way. So for example, are there ever times when you just go through the motions when you pray? Uh, maybe when you, when you ask God to bless your meal, uh, has that prayer become meaningless? Has it become empty of true gratitude or true petition? Uh, has your blessing over your meal become more like an incantation? Something you just say is a magic word to make your Big Mac turn into a healthy meal, right? Um, that's asking for a miracle, right? Uh, when you pray with us here in this church, uh, when you pray in these services, are you calling on God's name in earnestness or are you just going through a, a ritual? Has it become something where you're just going through the motions? Uh, we need to be careful not to call on God's name in a thoughtless or a reckless way. Well, second, this command should convict any who are refusing to take God's name onto themselves. So how do we take God's name onto ourselves? We do it first by believing on God and coming to salvation. We take God's name on ourselves when we identify ourselves through faith. I am going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. We are taking God's name and we are uniting it to us. We also do this through baptism and we do it through the Lord's Supper. Uh, Every time that we take the Lord's Supper, we are saying to ourselves, to each other, to the world, I am one of God's people. I am part of this family. I wear the family name. And certainly that's what we did at our baptism. We, we took our stance with Christ. Uh, we united His name to our lives so that from that day forward we would be known as a Christian. And how we live and talk and act represents Christ in this world. But what does it say about regard for God's name if we continue to put off taking it on to ourselves? Uh, God has called us to walk as His children not in secret, but for all to see. Uh, We're not to be undercover Christians. We are to be known as followers of Jesus. We're to go public with our faith. Uh, When we consider how glorious God's name is and what a privilege it is to wear His name, why would we fail to want to do so? Uh, Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's a terrible thing to be ashamed of the gospel. I would suggest it's even worse to be ashamed of the God of the gospel. Uh, Paul said in Romans 1.5, Through Him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. In other words, Paul says, I'm living for the sake of Christ's name. My whole life is dedicated to the honor of God's name Dear friend, are you living as a Christian, wearing God's name, doing all that you can for the glory of God's name? Have you taken His name on you in baptism? Do you regularly come to the Lord's Supper and profess with this body, through that table, I belong to Christ, I am a part of His family? Third, related to what we've been saying, This command calls us to live worthy of God's name. Uh, We are to show our devotion and our honor for God's name by living in a way 
that causes people to bless God's name and not curse it. Uh, To put it differently, does your life beautify God's name or stain God's name in the eyes of others? Uh, Two verses out of many. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Uh, Just as Jesus lived His life in the name of His Father, representing His Father, so we are to live as representatives of Jesus on earth. Paul says that everything we do, whether in word or in deed, we are to be doing it in Christ's name, as Christ's ambassador, as Christ's representative in this world. Church, if we get this, this will have a radical effect on our lives. Every decision you make, you make as an ambassador of Jesus. Every word you speak to your spouse or your children or your friend or your neighbor, you speak that word as an ambassador of Jesus. Therefore, we are to speak and act in Christ's name. Meaning, we're to speak and act under His authority. And the strength that He provides for His purposes. We no longer live to ourselves. We live as servants of Jesus. We find our joy in being servants of Jesus. We do everything in His name. And then listen to 2 Timothy 2.19. 2 Timothy 2.19. Paul says, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This is extremely practical. Those who name the name of the Lord, that's Christians, are to honor that name by departing from iniquity. By separating themselves from sin. The name of Jesus and sin should not mix together. What fellowship has light with darkness? Paul asked. So when I as a Christian act selfishly, I am joining my selfishness to the name of Jesus. When I as a Christian speak an ill word or entertain a lustful thought or lie or manipulate... I do that as a part of Christ's bride, bearing Christ's name, uniting the name of the Holy Son of God to my immorality. This should be a powerful motivator to our pursuit of holiness. Let your joyful love for the name of Jesus motivate you to purity. Let let the preciousness of Christ's name to you motivate you to, to pursue integrity. Did you hear that word depart? Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That word literally means to say farewell and to remove yourself from that place. It's the word Jesus said that he will use on the day of judgment. When he will say, depart from me, all you evildoers. In other words, this is a final farewell. This is a, this is a sin, goodbye, I have nothing to do with you anymore. I am not looking back. It is a final once for all departure. We are to put a clean separation between ourselves and sin. Number four. Number four. 
this command calls us to pay special attention to the way we live before unbelievers. Special attention to the way we live before unbelievers. Um, The Bible sometimes refers to unbelievers as outsiders because they're outside the church of Christ. And here's what the Bible tells us, Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. 1 Thessalonians 4.12 Walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Or 1 Timothy 3.7 talking about the qualifications of pastors. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. God is teaching us in these verses that how we live before unbelievers matters. Our reputation among the ungodly and the unbelieving of this world, speaks to God's reputation. And whether whether people see God rightly as the glorious God that He is, or see Him wrongly as a God to be disregarded or dishonored, largely depends on the way His children live before the eyes of a watching world. And so let's consider ourselves here. You say that your God is sovereign. Yet do your friends know you as a person of worry or anxiety? You say that your God is good, better than life itself. Yet do your co-workers have the sense that you're actually living for money or that you're concerned only with the next promotion or getting the most sales? You say God has saved you and forgiven you. And yet do you hold a grudge? If the only knowledge of God your family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers had was what they saw in you, what would be God's reputation in their eyes? If you have a boss or a manager that you work under, 1 Timothy 6.1, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God And the teaching may not be reviled. In our 21st century American context, that verse relates most to employees working under a boss or manager. And Paul says that if you dishonor your manager, if you dishonor your boss by your words or your actions, you bring the very name of God and the message of the gospel into disrepute. God says, honor those in authority over you for the sake of God's name. For many Christians today, the place where they say the most and display the most about their lives before the eyes of unbelievers is on the internet. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, lots of other ones. Uh, We need to think carefully about the pictures we post. Uh, the posts that we like or dislike, uh, the comments that we make on Facebook and other platforms. Uh, Social media is a unique opportunity to show a watching world how Christians live. Social media is an opportunity to show a watching world what we treasure, where our hope is, why we love Christ. But there are pitfalls. I've been guilty more than once in the past of using social media to, for, for needless disputes. Uh, we need to be careful about that. 
When it comes to the name of God and His reputation in the world, what does it say to unbelievers when they go on something like Facebook and what they see is Christians arguing among themselves in those public forums? By the way, this applies to politics as well. You may have strong political opinions And I support 100% your freedom to speak your mind, including on social media. But just because you can, doesn't always mean you should. Just because you have a right, doesn't always mean it's wise to exercise it. Especially when you remember that everything you say, you say as a representative of Jesus. We need to be sure that we have no hesitation associating the name of Jesus with anything we might say or approve of on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere else. Since the name of Jesus is the name of salvation, the name of refuge, the name of safety for sinners, let's consider whether the things that we say, even when we're right, let's make sure that we're not putting needless obstacles in the way of unbelievers that would keep them further away. From trusting Christ's name. Now, this commandment does raise questions about taking oaths. Uh, is it right for Christians to take an oath? Is it okay to swear on a Bible in a courtroom? Uh, the commandment has application for how we talk about God. There are some in our day who want to speak about God in a new, more progressive way. And so, for example, Duke University and Vanderbilt University recently advised their divinity school professors that they need to use more gender-neutral language when they talk about God. Um, They argued that referring to God as Him shows a lack of regard for females. Uh, And these liberal schools used to advise that God should be referred to as, as both Him and Her as both father and mother. The problem is now that's not sufficient because gender is being seen as a spectrum. Uh, There now are supposedly people who don't fit as, as male or female, him or her. And so the advice that these two schools recently gave their professors was, you must speak of God as having no gender at all. You must find gender neutral language, frankly the language of it, rather than him or her. Do we have a right to speak differently of God than how He reveals Himself in the Bible? Do we have a right to change His pronouns? Um, What is lost when we speak about God in a genderless fashion? Uh, More about that Wednesday. For now, I simply want to remind you of this truth. Though there are many who disregard or despise the name of God and the name of Jesus Christ today, there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God will not allow the glory of His name to be trampled for too long. God's patience is great, but ultimately every stain upon His name will be judged, the worth of His name will be vindicated, and every human being will cry out the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will not be as a curse word. It will be a solemn recognition That this man, this man from Nazareth, is the greatest, the highest, the best of all names. The Son of God. Um, When someone dies for the name of America, 
They're not dying for the word America. They're giving their lives because they believe in what that name stands for. What America is. So also the name of God and the names of God, they're not just words. They stand for who God is. And therefore, Mount Hermon, let us love the name of God and let us be ready to live and to die in order to honor his name. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.